Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. And uh, Darren, I don't know if you knew this, but it's Super Bowl week. <laughs> Did you know that? I almost, I'm so embarrassed. because So part of me wants to just lie and say I absolutely, and I've got my party and plan. All that. Yeah. I have literally no idea that was this week. That's this week? So this Sunday. Oh, and you guys got to be on fire. The Cincinnati oh, Bengals man. are playing the Los Angeles Rams. And I've got to say, man, I, I am... I am really, really excited for this. And I know my son, who is also producing our podcast, is even more excited. He he has been a faithful Bengals fan for all 21 years of his life. I have two, but I, I admit, and people have called me out for this, and I gladly accept it, but, you know, I... Uh, I felt a little betrayed by the Bengals through the years, and those that have followed the team realize uh, how easy it would be to feel this way. Um, they've let me down many, many, many times. And so being in Nashville for the past decade or so, I took an affinity towards the Titans, right? They're the hometown team, et cetera, et cetera. But you can take the boy out of Ohio, but you can't take Ohio out of the boy. I was about to use a metaphor, but I realized I had it backwards. I was going to say, so in this case, uh, the Bengals was your was Gomer and your Hosea, and she has not been faithful to you. But I realized that it's the opposite. The Bengals is Hosea, and you're Gomer, man. You've just been sleeping around on your Bengals. But not Micah, man. Micah has been a faithful, faithful spouse. So, see, the, the oh, metaphor worked good. better for Micah as, as Hosea. Oh, that even man. when the Bengals run off and you know weren't faithful, that he stayed and was waiting for her. That's right. That's uh, right. It just didn't work in reverse for you. So, so our family is just super, super excited. And honestly, I've had a couple people ask, like, "Hey, you know, is Darren gonna, you know, make sure that Sunday's you know pretty quick? We've got Super Bowl plans. It's a big day. What time does the Super Bowl start? Well, that's just it's it. Like it starts s- at five thirty. Gosh, what? Are they, like, so, what are people? Are you gonna be like, like tailgating outside yeah. your house? Is that what happens? I mean, yes. I mean, it's a big day. It's a big day. I know a lot of people don't care, but there's a lot of people that do, and people are really excited. So, I'll I just wanted what, it to be on your radar. Well, I'll tell you what I'm pretty fired up for is this: is the halftime show lineup. It's it's catered to your liking. Oh, dude, Snoop, oh, and uh, Missy Elliott. Yes, and uh, is, is Ice Cube a part of this thing? Yeah, I, I could do without Ice Cube. Uh, it's a throwback to '80s hip hop, or I'm sorry, '90s hip hop. My apologies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's '90s rap, pop. Yeah, there, there's like a, there's been a meme floating around that like all of a sudden the kids are gonna know exactly what your parents are like listening <laughs> to in the '80s. But I was like, because I, th- I think Dr. Dre is on it. Dre, Dre yeah. yeah. And I hope. So I was. I'm gonna look. So it's not Eminem. So that's good. Um. Oh, is it Eminem? I need it to not be Eminem. Eminem is. Is he on there? He's making an appearance. Uh, you know, but it's it's a it's a medley of sorts, so he, it's not like he's going to dominate the show. No, and it, and it's you know, 
he's just he was late to the party a little bit like he was white guy hip hop yeah um at a time when hip hop needed a white guy mm-hmm. um and in fairness I was a white guy listening to hip hop in Nebraska in Nebraska well by then by the you 90s in Atlanta. by 90s I was in Nashville you were in Nashville okay booking jars of clay in third day in grits and well so that was the thing so I I'm driving home um this is kind of embarrassing well, we've uh, talked about grits before. Yeah, but I but I'm I'm booking um jars and third day and all, but I'm driving home listening to Dre. Like there I'm dri- uh, Snoop and Fiddy. And and it's embarrassing because they're That's funny. uh yeah, they they uh like they're naughty. Like you know what I mean? Like they're, right. they're lyrical content, they're naughty. So it speaks a little bit of maybe the spiritual <laughs> where my own spiritual life was. <laughs> Cuz I listen to it now going, "Oh my goodness, what was I like that song's naughty. Yes. Um, but yeah, then I'm thinking, okay, I'm the white guy that loves the hip hop. Um, what can I do inside of Christian music, right, to help with that? And, yeah. And so grits was my first foray. Yes. Into that, and then out of Eden, which isn't hip hop, but R and B. It was yeah. You know, and then I I worked with Billy and Sarah Gaines, uh, which is not that wasn't no. R and B. No. Um, I, and Sarah is, is with Jesus now, uh, but Dadgum, they were the whitest R and B. Like <laughs> they just were, man. Like the, the the circle they were in, and I hope man Billy surely doesn't listen to this, but um, they were like the Cosby family of Franklin. Sure, um, yeah. Everybody loved them. Their house was full of people, and uh, but so I'm I'm working with them and like Michael Michael and Marty and they were they were the first time I realized that you could spend a crap ton of money on a record, and and nobody care about it. Yeah. So Michael and Marty produced this record. Uh, it was Billy and Sarah, and it was I mean they probably spent like two hundred grand on this record, and uh, but it's wow. Billy and Sarah. Billy. Yeah. So Billy, true story, sang background on like the DC Talk Free at Last record. Yeah. Um, like he you know he'd been around. Uh, and those Out of Eden girls were like raised in his house, basically. Or near the Free at Last record was a game changer. Oh. At least for me. Yeah. It kind of dipped into a whole new world of music uh-huh. that I wasn't really aware of. What was that, 91? It, no, it was a little bit more than that. It was more like, it was more like 93. <gasps> it was. And you know why I know that? Oh, I know why I know that. I had uh, tickets to the Michael W. Smith Go West record, whatever that tour was. Yeah, yeah. And DC Talk was opening. That's right. Okay. And I had uh, a date with Shannon Anderson for that show. Okay. Tulsa, Oklahoma at the Maybe Center in 1990, whatever. Wow. You know, it was 92. Okay. Uh, because like the week before, my wife gave me the, it's not me. No, wait, it's not you, it's me. Wait, actually, it was me. I think, though, no, in hindsight, it wasn't. You know, it's not me. It's you. Uh, speech, and now I've got like she dumps me like a bad habit. You got tickets, and I got tickets for a Michael W. Smith show in DC Talk. In DC Talk, uh, and I'm like, oh god, what did I do? So I, I, I found a date, and I went late on purpose because it, it, so free at last. I didn't. I'd not heard free at last. Um, but I just thought, uh, Christian, whatever. You weren't excited about the Christian talk. Yes. Also known as decent, DC Talk. Decent Christian Talk. Okay, that's what it stood for. Duh Christian Talk. And I was... Uh, decent Christian Talk. I was offended by even the title of the band. It's a terrible name, I know, let's be right? honest. But man, uh, so I go there with Diana diaz Freyer, who was uh, oh, wow. Ron Luce's assistant at that time. And 
I, there was the talk was one song in, and I was like, and here's the thing: Stacy and uh, Tehran were were on that tour as dancers. Wow. Uh, they were like the fly boys. What are they called? They were fly girls. But I don't know what they called the guys. Anyway, dancers um, on the tour, and I was absolutely blown away by what I saw. Like it was. It was a show. It, it was a show. It was also called DC. They worked in DC because that's where I Toby know. was from. I know. They were from Washington, DC. But they were from Liberty University, so it was Lynchburg. decent Christian talk. <laughs> like that was when when Eddie DeGarmo, the very first like uh, CCM magazine that even mentioned DC talk. That what was that what was the first record they did? Like uh, Oh my gosh. I, I honestly don't know. New Thang? Was that what it, it was that the first one? New, New Thang, thing? Yeah. yeah. I mean I'm like, eh. Uh but yeah, boy. Boy, was I wrong, and uh, that was yes. a, an amazing, amazing show. So we got all the way down to this because it's Super Bowl week. Yeah. <laughs> Go Bengals. But here's the thing, you know, that I've been noticing, and not just not, you, when you observe events like this Super Bowl, and, you know, we have the Olympics going on right now too, uh, which most people don't really care about this yeah. year. Yeah. Um, but it's a conversation, especially with, with the Super Bowl, a big play, big game. People go crazy. I mean, we went crazy. We, there's videos of us yeah, celebrating. That when, video is going to be around for a while. Man. When we won, when uh, the Bengals won the the championship over the Chiefs. But it's this conversation of true and proper worship. <laughs> that's a nice segue. You like that? Well, that was really nice. True and proper worship. I mean, you have stadiums full of people raising their hands. Uh huh. Uh, like instinctively, yeah, raising their hands and shouting, and or in your case, a living room full of people. In a living room, full I of literally people. thought like that, that, it looked like a church I grew up in. Like what was going on in that living room when you guys like I was <laughs> running waiting. laps. I, was I literally ran outside <laughs> and ran around the house. I was waiting for somebody to pass an offering plate, man. <laughs> <laughs> but this true and proper worship, like we, it's built in us yeah. to worship something yeah. and celebrate victory. Um, and we get it wrong sometimes. Yeah. yeah so misplaced. And I might be able to, I'll probably offend somebody when I say this, but, um, when the world that we've been around, a lot of times in Christian music, you've probably heard a pastor at one point say something like, you can go down to the football game. You're just shouting them on, but you won't shout in church. You won't. Uh, and it, it's like a, um, to, to obviously to shame you that you can do that there, but you can't do that here. Um, and first of all, shame is never. It's not a motivator. It's just not a motivator, and it's not godly. And I would, I, I'm going to go so far as to say it's actually inaccurate. Um, shouting at a football game doesn't mean you're worshiping that team any more than not shouting on a Sunday morning means that you're not worshiping God. Um, because it's um, Romans 1, 12, verse 1, where we're at. He talks about offer your life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And yeah, the the, the point being that just shouting at the game, um, it, it, it diminishes what actual worship is. Uh, actual worship is whatever I'm offering. And more than that, presenting, I think, is the King James, ESV, NASB, all those. They say presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. So whatever I'm presenting myself to the most is what I worship. Yeah. Yes. And I, 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 
I love that verse and I love that distinction. I'm, I'm glad you taught on it because the same thing can be said that we can be guilty of worshiping worship. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I've, I've been in church circles my entire life and there are churches that I've participated in or have events that I've gone to where the worship is great and the response to worship is so powerful, but it's an experience mm-hmm. and and I'll know people, you know, I've been around people that would do that, be a part of that, have this moment, and then live like the world the rest of the week. Yeah. And, and to be clear, right, nothing wrong with the emotion and the experience. God feels emotions. and But that's not the full definition of worship. Yeah. We've equated worship in our Western culture to a musical experience yeah. on a Sunday. Yeah, we've even created a category on Spotify for it, right? Yeah. Um, and But that's not the whole story. No, because, in, in to, again, to be clear, there is power and purpose in music as a way to express yourself to God, also to experience God. Um, that in, There's a clip floating around of Jordan Peterson talking about uh, uh, music, and he goes through all this math. It basically takes like 10 minutes to say, that really rocked. Um, but it, when he starts talking about the patterns and these things, and like why he explains why music does that to somebody's soul, it's like, oh, that's that exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, and, it's, uh, and it's why um, music has, is, and will forever be powerful and there is such a thing as uh, as an anointing and as the holy spirit and you know in the in the music days you know we would i would tell my bands anyway like you can't live pitiful all week long and try to be powerful on the weekend like it's not going to happen um because the one thing that we had in 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 music from a christian worldview was we we had the possibility of the anointing on that music that was the one thing that um our general market counterparts didn't have. They could make a rock, but they couldn't like break yokes of bondage on people's yeah. lives. And so, so there's power in that music, and there's power there. But worshiping is something that um, we are all born to do. We are all going to worship something. If the definition, which it is, definition of worship, is that whatever I am presenting myself to most is what I worship. Um, we're all doing that. There's a a, a, a book, uh, Greg Beale, "Becoming What We Worship." Um, it's been a while for a while, uh, but he talks about that our worship is either aimed at our ruin or our worship is aimed at our restoration. But it is aimed in either case. Yes, like it's aimed somewhere, and uh, I think it's Tim Keller that talks about idols and worship as whatever it is that you can't do without, that if this is taken away from you, your life is just over. Uh, that is an idol that you are are worshiping. Um, it's a brilliant thing. It's, it, 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 I've not really thought, it feels sometimes a little oversimplified uh, because, you know, look, I'm gonna, if, if my wife is gone, that's going to be a long while for me to recover and grieve. That doesn't mean I'm worshiping her, but, but he somehow is explaining that it's deeper than that. Like it's a whatever your presenting yourself to and so in our culture yeah we are worshiping something um and i say our culture in our dna in the way that we are wired we are worshiping something and it's whatever we're presenting our uh, in this he says bodies too by the way which is you know not just your life but present your bodies to this 
that is what you're worshiping, and you will be shaped by and marked by what you worship. Um, we last year in Book of Revelation we got to the the mark of the beast. Yes, and six six six, which you hear is the devil's number. It's Satan's number, but that's not what Revelation says. It says 666, it's the number of man. And if you're worshiping humanistic endeavors, you know, whatever that thing is, whether it's a chip in your wrist or uh, you know whatever, who knows, uh, whatever it is, it literally there's an idea that goes along with it that whatever I'm worshiping is what I'm going to be marked by. So whether or not I've got a 666 on my brain, my body is going to be marked by what I'm worshiping. Yeah, and I mean... Yes. And also, uh, on the technology side, um, they're, they're getting closer and closer to this chip becoming reality. <laughs> I know. Um, there's been a lot of discussion over just the past two years. Of course, COVID has thrown this into hyperspeed in terms of uh, biometrics. Yeah. Um, ID2020 which is a nonprofit organization. It's kind of a, a global oversight committee sponsored by the World Economic Forum, Ugh, among others. Gross. Rockefeller as well. Um, they, they are helping accelerate the digital identification of the world. Um, and so this is trickling down in all different ways and aspects. Um, one of those is called the Good Health Pass, I don't know if you've heard about this yet, uh -uh. but oh. the Good Health Pass is a um, it's it's basically a way for for you to show you know current vaccination records, you know, et cetera, both COVID or you know because when you go to when you go to Africa, you have to have what your yellow fever, oh yeah, malaria. It's called the yellow card. The yellow card. So this Good Health Pass would cover would show all of right. those as well for international travel. And they're trying to make it a standard pass for airlines globally. The Good Health Pass is a derivative of ID2020, the nonprofit. This is all in the mix. It's all happening right now, including ID.me, um, which is was adopted by the IRS. If you've tried, and, and this happened to me, if you've tried to file your taxes early, of course you file early. Oh, of course you do. <laughs> I just want to get it out of the way. We file late every year, man. We file <laughs> extensions. We're like, I don't want to pay them. Uh, I don't either, but man, I just hate it just lingering out there. But if you, if so this year, if you tried to file it early before, let's say yesterday, actually, um, if you, there's, there's a process if you use TurboTax, which I do, a lot of people do. They have a, there's a process in there that, request you know how much money did you receive from the stimulus in 2021 many americans did in order to find and you may not remember that number off the top of your head or you may not even have received a documentation showing exactly what that was and so for you to go verify what that number is for your taxes they send you a, a big link you push the button that says verify you know uh what you've received your stimulus click this button to go to the irs you do that, it then sends you through a new process through ID.me, which is now a biometric uh, digital database that the IRS is using 
to give you the convenience of knowing all of your past and prior IRS tax information, including your stimulus information. In order to set up your account with ID.me, you have to send in a scan of your driver's license, as well as a, uh, I think it's a 12-second video of yourself so they can compare your driver's license picture to an actual current video of yourself that gets scanned in. What are you doing on the video? You stare at a camera and you sit still. So it's not even a photograph. It's a video? Yeah, and it's 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 it does facial recognition. So anyways, I get through like three steps of this process and I like Oh gosh, I wish I would have paid money to Because I wanted you. to see how far I could yeah. like I wanted to see what was in this process. Uh-huh. And man, oh, I got about three man. steps in. I'm like, nope, I'm out. Eject, unsubscribed, you know, got my email out of there. I'm like, all right, I'll just figure this out the old fashioned way. But since even then, you sent me an article this morning saying that that has been uh, they're pulling it yeah. because of the feedback already. Uh, the negative feedback, the privacy concerns. <laughs> this is like an $86 billion project that the IRS has, IRS has taken on as, from a third party to digitize oh uh, tax-paying Americans. And think about like that that went through that whole process and nobody thought, I'll bet this won't be popular. <laughs> right. It's, it's, been an, it's been an absolute train wreck. Um, because uploads are taking so long in certain areas. Um, oh, like, like my mother-in-law. Can you imagine? How's she going to put it? I mean, she doesn't know how to do any of that stuff, let alone the last thing I need is another video of me floating around in government hands. Like, But it's convenient. Yeah. At a time when the first Thessalonians, at a time when they're crying out for peace and safety is when the Antichrist, when all this is going to come upon the earth. And uh, peace and safety... People will they'll give up a lot of freedom for peace and safety, which we've discovered. Yeah, every time, every time, I see an 80-year-old woman being searched by TSA at the airport to make sure she's not a terrorist and realize how much safety theater that is. And I think back to 20 years ago and how I literally didn't even think anything of it. This is what we got to do. We got to be safe. We got to be. And meanwhile, you know, our kids have been in schools in masks for two years uh, in the name of safety. Um, in the name of peace, in the name of safety. Um, and it, it, I'm just fascinated by that. Like the idea that we'd have to put our pictures in for, I mean, good Lord, it's the IRS for God's sakes. Like everybody knows that's crazy. Like even liberals don't like the IRS. Which is why, ironically, which is why it got pulled. They had such pushback from both sides of the aisle. Right. That like Cortez is probably okay with it, but I bet the rest of them were like, they're like this is this is you know this is too much. We need more information. Where is this? Where is this being held? All the you know all the data being held. Anyways, so the digital identity we're talking about identity. Yeah, um, our digital identity is up for grabs. It is it is a huge market. Yeah, that is up for grabs by our federal government. And when you're thinking about being like marked by a government, right? Marked by what you worship, like uh, I would say, this is a bold, I don't know if this is a bold statement. This like, I just because I don't know if I could back it up, but a lot of what people that were so quick to say the government is telling us the truth, um, and I'm this is the part that I'm hesitant to say. I'm actually not sure that they intentionally lied as much as they were just really, really wrong. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, we got the same exact results, right? But 
Um, but eventually then we did have them lying to us, right, to say, okay, well, you know, we need 85, we, whatever, we need 50% to reach herd immunity because that was what they thought we could handle at the time. And then the later they came and said 85% and 95 and it had to be all vaccinated. And they, you know, they kept moving the goal lines. And they, they said that, you know, the idea that, well, we're, we know now, understand more now. and But that's not what happened. He, you know, he meaning Dr. Fauci would later say, that, oh, no, actually, that was, I just thought that was as much as we could handle at the time. Uh, and justify the means. And the point is, is like that, that's if, if you're worshiping man, that man is our only hope in this, you'll put up with a lot of nonsense and be marked by man's stuff. And, and uh, don't read into what I'm saying. I'm not saying just because you're, you know, you're wearing a mask, it's the mark of the beast. Um, but, but also don't miss what I'm saying, which is that if I'm worshiping man, then I put every bit of hope and dro- last drop of hope into science to fix the pandemic, I will behave quite differently um, and be marked by that in the way that I'm treating others and marked by, you know, creating now masks are about morality. They're not about science anymore. It's a moral thing. Uh, You're marked by that. It's not the number of Satan. It's the number of man. And the thing about it is it's not uh, the number of perfection, the number of Jesus, whatever God is seven. So six is almost seven, but it's not. And it falls short. And so on a grand scheme, if we're going to, you can see how an entire world would fall under the spell of something like this if they need peace and they need safety and someone finally comes along and says, here's how we're going to do this. And the whole world is going to fall in line with it, which is why I'm pretty sure Bill Gates is not Antichrist because he's, who's going to follow that guy? Like, I understand like Macron and Merkel and all those people, but the average person looks at him and goes like, that's the guy that I would have beat up in high school. Like, that's not somebody that I want to follow into the, you know. Uh, the, the problem is that corporations are following him because he's fair. writing massive checks um, and funding massive research development in the biotech sphere, yeah. in pharmaceuticals. Like he's, they're listening to him. They're befriending him be, because he's he's funding them. And it's hard to argue when you're writing checks, right? And you're stroking checks, especially in government and healthcare stuff, and um, but Deadgum, if he's Antichrist, I'm going to be so disappointed. <laughs> I don't think he's the Antichrist. I need it to be someone like at least good looking. Like, you know what I mean? Like he's somebody that could be inspiring. Like, I, yeah. um, <laughs> wow, we've really got off. Uh, marked by what we worship, right? We're conformed, uh, which he goes on to say, and that's why it's important to say that if, 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 if worship is more than just shouting at the Bengals game, um, but it's actually presenting your life to a specific thing, uh, and by the way, he goes on to say holy and pleasing to God, which is kind of important not to skip that because, man, if you're in Christ, you are holy and pleasing to God. Um, that is not a, I have to get all of my stuff together, get all the sin out of my life, and then I'm holy and pleasing to God and I can offer my body. You're already holy and pleasing to God, and that stuff falls away. Like It's, it's not a license to sin, but it is a... You don't have to do that before you offer your body. Which I think is really important that he's stating this because I believe he's using temple language here mm, Yeah. to the Jews, especially. Like they would know what it would mean to be, to use phrases like uh, sacrifice, mm-hmm. like a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God because they were accustomed to Old Testament um, customs, laws of, of giving of a sacrifice just yeah. to make amends or... Or that they would trust the high priest yeah. to enter in. So he, Paul is saying, like, all of that has been taken away. 
Yeah, and that's especially, you're right, Moses, because the chapters 9, 10, and 11 specifically, we're talking about Israel. And he, he's making a case that, you know, Israel doesn't get in without grace. Israel doesn't get in without Christ. Israel doesn't get in. And the entire Jewish system was set up on the sacrificial system um, as far as their forgiveness, whatever. And so he's saying to them, um, and I'm almost sure, I think by this time they were still able to offer sacrifice, I think. Uh, in a modern Jewish context, you know, the Jewish temple there, they don't offer sacrifice. So yeah. the, it's a whole different thing. But uh, they weren't, uh, the sacrifice wasn't going to get him saved. And so he's saying, since you're already holy and pleasing to God, Romans 1 through 8, um, just offer your life now. Offer right. your body as a living sacrifice. What a relief that would have yeah. been. Yeah. And don't conform, verse 2, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So being marked by what you worship, by the, you know, don't be marked by that pattern, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, um, which is goodness. I mean, that, that's a verse that we've... I, Powerful. Right? And we've known it. Everybody knows it. Um, but man, there's some pungent, pu- pungent, no, punchy. Pungent's bad. Pungent's pejorative. Punchy stuff here. Like to, to not conform to the pattern of this world and he uses the word of uh, world. So so pattern is, um, it's exactly what it sounds like. It would be like a pattern. Like if I, if I force my Play-Doh into this, I can get like a little whatever creature out of it. Like it's, I'm, if I force it into this, it will come out looking like that. Right. And um, so I'm literally, f- I'm like cramming this in to make it fit to something that it wasn't meant to fit into to make it look like something it wasn't meant to look like. And, but he says of this world, and that word that he uses, and I'm, I, I hesitate because I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong, but it's ayan, 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 A-I-O-N. And it is um, like the an age, like a, 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 it's time. So uh, to a time, not to the world like the physical, you know, terra firma, but like actually to a time, a season, a beginning, a, you know, middle and an uh, and I say that, but I was going to say beginning, middle, and end, but that's not it because it actually, in other places in the New Testament, Romans sixteen twenty seven, for instance, when that same word is used, it's actually translated using the word like forever, ever, like Jesus, be Jesus glorified through Jesus for aeon, for that time of it. And, you know, that's a word that the Romans would have understood, um, which is amazing to me. Yeah, Aeon was also the god of the ages. It was um, an Hellenistic deity associated with time, but um, it was it was a um, based around eternity, an orb or a circle encompassing the universe. This 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 Aeon god would oversee this this uh, universe as it pertains to time. So it's interesting, and, and also, historically, I guess this Aeon God was also on their coins, Roman coins. It was part of their currency, which I find interesting. So they, they would have absolutely known, the Romans would have would have understood this this concept or this idea of, of Aeon. Right. It's, it's fascinating. Gosh, you know, if people, if you could go back in time and live at any time, whatever, I really would love to live... During this time? During this time. With Paul. Because he, in the context of, I mean, that's why Dr. Easley's in context, right, the whole thing. Uh, but in the context of when he's writing this, 
you know, he's using language that like they would have recognized as, as part of their culture. And then he's reframing it um, and, and making it, but, but to them, like the, if, if, if you're worshiping the aeon, right. Of, of, of this age, this God, and then, so we're in chapter 12, four chapters later, he's going to talk about Jesus being forever the aeon. Um, like that's, he's, he's making a case here that this aeon, this pattern of this world uh, will, will conform you. It will shove you and push you and nudge you into being something you were not created to be, which is Romans 1, the descent into that. Like you are, I think it even talks about in there about uh, your thinking and your whatever. And so your mind there allowing, uh, I can't remember who said it, but it's like the, the longer um, you worship humanity, whatever, in Romans 1, the more you begin to look like what you are worshiping, which is why by the end of Romans 1, they were, uh, you see a human that resembles an animal more than a human that resembles God uh, because they're worshiping this aeon and this world and offering their bodies to that and not to to him. And so that's 2,000 years ago. And that idea still exists right now that there's a pattern of this world, a narrative of this world that, we could be transformed by Christ or conformed to the pattern of that narrative. Um, one of the narratives, at least in our age, is there's no such thing as truth. Like, I don't remember, when was the, I don't remember the first time I ever heard the word my truth and your That's truth. A good question. I, I don't know. It feels, feels like within the past decade for sure. I mean, probably the past decade. So I think so. Years? But you know that the, 1995, the first time I saw DC Talk on a stage in Atlanta Fest to play Jesus Freak record, I also saw Josh McDowell stand on that stage. Okay. And in Six Flags Over Georgia, 18, 20,000 people, he starts talking about postmodernism mm-hmm. in 1995. And I had no idea what he was talking about and said that, you know, there's coming a time when in our society you will not be able to stand on stages like this and say truth like the gospel like about sexuality about identity <laughs> and 25 years ago yes dude that guy was like the truth bomb guy like <laughs> uh, uh, when i was working then i was the transportation guy yeah uh, so i was an agent but we all had, it was all hands on deck so it's like easter at church everybody's got to go to just you, you, yeah. you do whatever you gotta do so you know I, for that week of atlanta fest um i realized that if you were the driver uh to the airport a you got out of the the, the mess and you were in air conditioning yeah and so you're know, you driving people back and forth. <laughs> and, you know, Josh McDowell, uh, I'm, whatever, I'm 25. I'm just the guy driving to the airport. But he would always lean over right before. This was like three years in a row that I did this. And he'd lean over and just say something like profound. And, yeah. And uh, once was, uh, hey, yeah, that little girl of yours, you know, if, if you're not kissing her, some other guy's going to. <laughs> so have a good day, Darren. Like, what? <laughs> she's, she's a year old. What are you talking about? You know. Uh, but but that was the first time I'd heard of postmodernism, and here we are, twenty five years later. Yeah, and the idea that there is no truth that it's my truth and your truth um, that's a pattern of this world, mm. and that is deeper than that because if it's my truth and it's your truth, then that pattern of this world says that I'm going to find my meaning and my purpose right by what I worship, but but it's going to come from within me, which is every stinking Disney movie ever made. If you just Look inside of you and find your 
right. who you are, your identity, um, is killing our children mm. and killing our society uh, because that means I could get it wrong. There's a, if you're 15 years old, 16 years old, 12 years old, what do I want to be? Which has now been conflated. No truth, post-truth, then am I a boy or am I a girl? Um, or a cat or a dog. Or a cat or, or a dog. or Identify with whatever you want. And so young people who might have had a actual disorder of body dysmorphus yeah. who need help are instead being encouraged to do that. And we're going to give you medication for it and it's going to make you feel better about yourself. Like that. Because there's no truth. So the pattern of this world is literally transforming them into something different than they they are. Wow, yeah. Um, but that said, it, 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 the pattern of this world now means that uh, this piece in Newsweek from October 2021, just a few months back, mm-hmm. saying that uh, nearly 40% of millennials uh, are identifying as LGBTQ. 40? 40%. 40. And here's here's why this is important because so the pattern of this world is truth comes there is no truth and so you're going to get your meeting your identity inside of you. Um so now I'm looking inside what am I feeling on any given day? I mean and so what ended up like research in fact it's it's it, they they mentioned that here like Kinsey's research but at, at the very 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 most extreme you know, of the 70s and 80s research they would say maybe six to ten percent of of people would yes. identify it in that way right and and those numbers were were actually stretched to fit the narrative Th- these were at best uh, cooked research sure. but but let's say because it's true there are men and there are women who do have a genuine and a legitimate battle that is something inside of them that they struggle with uh, an attraction to the same sex yeah. okay I battle with that with uh, with women, right? Like I don't want to I don't want to lust after women, but I'm a guy, so I, I have to set things in motion. And the idea that I, this is who I am, and I can just be whatever I you know, how this is, I can't help myself. Uh, my wife would have something to say about that, right? So my life is spent crucifying that part of me, putting it. But if uh, there's no truth, then I could just say to my wife, "Well, then let's uh, let's invite more women into this little party. Let's uh, let me let's let's uh, let's put uh, naked ladies around uh, the room here, let, you know." And we all know like that just sounds like nuts because it is nuts. But if there's no truth and identity is coming from inside of me, what you end up with is a bunch of young people going, what is my identity then? Which we all were struggling with. You know, back then, though, it was like, am I going to be a, you know, when I was growing up, is you a skater or are you a goth or, you know, a jock or whatever, you know. And, but we've just added LGBTQ as an option onto that because in no society, in no scientific study ever was there ever any idea that there would be as many as 40% of the population that would identify, quote unquote, identify as that? Um, th- this is, a, I'm trying to think, this is a quote from George Barna. So George Barna uh, goes, in his research, figures out that, so it's 40%, and this is a, this is a big number, by the way, of millennials, but inside of uh, Christianity, uh, 30% of millennials. That's a shocking number. That's a surprising mm-hmm. number. It is now. And of course, I don't know what he defines as Christian. I don't know where he's getting that, that information uh, as far as who, who, who would be included in that. Um, 
like I, I don't know if he's calling First Baptist. You know, I, I don't even know how sure. polls are done. Quite honestly, do you ever answer those calls? I don't answer those calls. I don't even know where they're getting this stuff. But but I know they do it because it, whatever. But here's what Barna says, and Barna is actually someone that I, I do respect. Uh, it's a subset of a larger issue that this generation. This is a generation where three out of four are searching for meaning. This is a group that doesn't have a reason to get out of bed in the morning, Barna says. Therefore, the LGBTQ identity gives them comfort. A lot of this generation claim to be moving in that direction, but there's a big difference between claiming the identity and living the lifestyle. Right. Uh, the poll looked at so-called millennials defined as someone between 1984 and 2002, which is you. Wait, no, you squeaked. I'm a zillennial. Genera- uh, generation X right before the millennials, yeah, so 1980. You s- yeah, you squeaked by. So is Heslop, was he a... He's you too, 80, right? 82. 82, oh yeah. Because um, people, I mean, I, I'm so old now that I think of millennials, I think of tw- like Micah, but, but that's because I'm old. I'm like, oh no, that's not that's not millennial. Millennials are like... He's after millennial. Yeah, very much. Uh, population. But, uh, it goes on to say that Barna produced the 124-page study in conjunction with the Cultural Research Center in Arizona. Um, but listen, uh, this the results differed significantly from a February Gallup poll that showed just 5.6% of U.S. adults of all ages are not heterosexual or, or straight. Though that poll said that 7.6% of, of respondents refused to answer the question, and another 5% said they had no opinion as to whether they were heterosexual. So Gallup has a little twist, but they didn't really do a, a deep dive on, and it, obviously that, that that's like 15, 20% right there that didn't even answer it. Um, here, actually, you know what he says, what it is. Barnes poll is based on a sampling of 600 respondents Representing millennials waited for factors such as geographic location, Jason, uh, race, and gender, who took an average of 17 minutes each to answer 71 questions. Um, anyway, all that to say, that's a very large number of young people that are being conformed to a pattern, uh, trans- uh, conformed to a pattern of this world, which there is no truth, and without truth, then my identity comes from within. And what Paul is saying what is, uh, I mean, goodness, it's the message of the gospel in general, is that that meaning and that purpose does not come from within you. It comes from without you. It is not a meaning that you create. It's a meaning that you're going to discover uh, that God has created you for. Um, the, the reason the, 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 the kids are, kids these days, I mean, get off my lawn. Um, <laughs> the, the reason the kids are struggling emotionally with it, though, is because if you choose wrong, what if I choose wrong? What if I'm 18 and I'm wrong? What if I'm this? And there's just so many of them. So you end up just, they're overwhelmed with the anxiousness of, of now trying to live up to whatever this meaning and purpose is, as opposed to uh, looking to the God of the universe that created them and said, man, you can, don't conform to the pattern of this world. Be Like be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Like God wants to move into your life and transform you you know, uh, anybody that ever told you you are okay the way you are, just, you know, you're, they're lying to you. Uh, you're not okay the way. I'm not okay the way I am. That's a lie. And it settles for a pattern of this world uh, that I, it's going to leave me miserable and alone and sad, but being transformed by the renewing of my mind, um, which goes back to what we worship, what I'm presenting my life to, will transform me because it's going to renew my mind in a way that's uh, the, the, the pattern of this world can't beat. You know, there was, there's a video floating around from 1985 that um, alludes to some of this uh, ideology being subverted into American culture. Mm. I mean, how many years ago? That's uh, 
that's 35 years 35 ago. 35 years ago. Um, from a KJB um, defector, Yuri Bezmanov. And this has been covered a couple times recently in some rather popular podcasts. Um, but it's, it's, it's about a 13-minute interview. You can find it on YouTube. But he's talking about ideological subversion that, um, that, imp- that plants an idea into American culture specifically around the idea of questioning what is true um, in terms of race, um, sexuality, religion, politics, etc. And this was something that <laughs> the KGB Russians were were doing and, and stating that this was a 20 to 40 year return on investment. That in a generation or two, if this plays out, that it would weaken a culture to the point of um, potentially overcoming that particular country, just because the the, the culture is so weak in its identity, it's so weak in its definitions, it's weak in its ideologies, fractured. Yeah, a, a long play <laughs> from the from the Russians um, through psychology and subversion, implanting these ideas. Pretty interesting. I feel like we're like we've arrived to that point in 2020. Yeah, when you think about the schemes of the enemy, right? Do not be ignorant of Satan's schemes. Um, obviously, Satan plays a long game with us. Absolutely. Um, but if somebody understands how humans are wired. Uh, we, yeah, so Satan understands that perfectly, but somebody in our scheme, like, what a what a fascinating way to invade a country without firing a shot. Exactly. And exactly, you know, it wasn't that long ago that you know you shared, Mo, and I can't remember where where that information came from, but that uh, nineteen out of the twenty sites on Christian sites on Facebook, as far as Christian pages that were like fan pages, yeah, were out of a shop in Eastern Europe, like they Moldova. were tr- Moldova. Yeah. Troll farms, troll farms. Um, that's like information warfare. Yes. And in, in a spiritual realm, that's what Satan wants, right? Is us information warfare, uh, because our minds being transformed, uh, is, is the war, but to weaponize that. And man, for anybody listening to this, like, this goes both ways. So those troll farms are actually producing memes and shareable stuff that that might support something you actually believe, but if it's inaccurate, then it's still information warfare and it's not right. Uh, we, so we have to check your sources if you're going to share something and just not just share without you know with impunity or just. Um, but if you've got 19 of those 20 sites just machine gunning the internet with information, and and that's just on that alone yeah um and then you take it uh into our our culture itself um i mean it's fascinating to think that for 35 years uh a government entity has been disseminating ideological warfare on us yes and uh and uh winning i might add in our military i mean it's no secret our military is faced with this. I mean, they've they they've been talking about this past year. Um, 
all the CRT uh, agenda is is required now through all, all of our military platforms um, in terms of understanding what it means um, in academics, etc. And so now we have this permeating through our, our military as well. Generals, you know, Millie is a General Milley is a firm believer in all things CRT, wokeism. He's stated that very clearly a few months ago. And so wow. at the highest levels, there's been a bit of an infiltration of ideology that is um, that's fractured. It's my truth, your truth. I was listening to a podcast this week by um, um, John Deloney. Yeah, our buddy over at uh, Ramsey. Yeah, yeah. He had Pat Lincioni on. Oh, I like that. I like the Lincioni guy. Yeah, but they were talking. They were they were talking somewhat about what we're talking about, just in terms of how millennials are struggling to find purpose and meaning. And one of the things that Pat brought up was just how our institutions are fractured um, over the past just several years. How academia, how um, science, medical field, um, pop just politicians, government, there's, it's so fractured. There's no set standard. There's so many opinions, so much division that the millennial generation are just throwing their hands up in the air and don't know what or who to believe. And so they were, they were talking about, you know, the, the implications of that all the way down, but it's, it's definitely an issue. Yeah. We've created our own problem. Yeah, and the problem is, so, so like you mentioned CRT, right? Critical race theory. There is no doubt that our country has had a history and still experiences issues of racism in our country. Um, without doubt, that is a, there is a problem. The, the, the challenge then is what's the solution? And so CRT would say, we are, there are categories. There's the oppressed and there's the oppressor. Those are the two categories. And the only way to set free the oppressed is to overthrow the oppressor. Um, that's also known as Marxism. And when you start splitting it into categories, when people are split into categories of good and bad, and then you're putting your tribes... Um, the, it, it is what's happened with uh, with with the masking world or with the vaccine world. It's literally created. It was, um, uh, I think, it was Saskatchewan that just d- uh, did away with all their mandates and yes. and you know that I think it was the, I don't know what, what they call their governors there uh, Mounties. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, it's not Mounties. It's not Mounties. It should be. <laughs> this guy. This could he could not have sounded more Canadian when he was speaking to <laughs> like Dudley D. Right, but. He's saying we've created these moral categories of people and uh, higher category. You know, we're 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 literally fracturing into categories of people. Classes, yeah. Um, and and the challenge is, if you're worshiping man and you don't understand that at the core of who we all are is Romans one that needs a savior, the, the categories ultimately find yourself there. I, I just watched this documentary on um, Bill Cosby. Um. It's uh, it's it's actually fascinating. It's um a, a black producer, and they're they're going back saying we have to deal with we have, it's time to talk about Cosby or something like that. I think is what it's called. Uh, and here's what they're struggling with: is we got the Jello Pudding Pops guy, who's this kind and hilarious guy, who was slipping a Mickey to women, 
and sexually assaulting them. And which one of them is Bill Cosby? The answer is yes, right? Both are. And so how, and what they, when you struggle with it, that it's good person versus bad person, and you've got a guy that, that doesn't fit either categories neatly, you have to take him out of your and put him in the bad category. It's the same person. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, so the dilemma becomes then you can't, if that's the, if that's the rule, if that's the pattern of this world, then there are good people and there are bad people, and who gets to decide who the good people are, and those good people then become it's you just it's a reoccurring cycle. Then they become the oppressor again. You yes. got to do with, you know, whoever wins the battle gets to be the good guy, and uh, that's why the gospel was so important because it goes deeper than racism of uh, of CRT of their categories of people. It goes in saying we're all sinful, we're all falling short of the glory of God. We all need a savior, and so. Can we teach history from a world of not of oppressor versus oppressed, but of, uh, of a world in need of a savior that we all needed Jesus? And, and, and from there, because otherwise we just go back to building totalitarian governments. No matter, whatever it is, whatever humanitarian, humanistic idea wins, you end up back with another version of a totalitarian. And the challenge is with it when you hear somebody, and the reason why you can have such a division, 50-50 in a country almost, is... When you hear Biden talk about something, the sum of the stuff he's saying is right. It's not like he's fully, well, he might be in dementia, depending on where you've come down on that. It's not that he's nuts. It's not that he's evil. Uh, it's that this part of him is good and this part of him is wrong. And so whichever side that I relate to more becomes the, the, the you know, the side that we, we vote for, whatever. And, and the opposite of that was Trump. The Trump clearly was bombastic. And because he was bombastic, then nothing he could do was good. It, it, it created... If we put him in categories of people, then no matter if Trump did anything good or at all, he's still a horribly bad person. Everything he did was bad. We can't listen to anything he did. And and that's true of the right to the left as well, because Biden uh, has some policies that are uh, that I would uh, d- diametrically, vehemently oppose. It doesn't mean that he's a different category of person. He's the same category as I am, which is a sinner that is in need of God's salvation. And... Uh, which is why I think this verse three is so important because uh, after you've offered your life as a living sacrifice, right? No, no longer conforming to the pattern of this world, transformed by the renewing of your mind, then verse three, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Um, the pattern of this world is going to fracture it into categories. But if I understand God's grace, then I know that my category is I am a sinner in need of salvation and uh, desperately need Jesus, desperately need his grace. In, it's, it's why he actually says, he opens verse one, in view of God's mercy. Uh, not in view of God's anger, but in view of his mercy. I have been shown so much mercy in my life by God. It allows me then to go and to show mercy to others. Um, it allows me to, I mean, in the church world, um, it's creeping in, right? I mean, the the the, the spiritual abuse conversations, the... You know, it's like on the one hand, these are there is a problem that needs to be dealt with and challenges in some churches, uh, some leaders, some whatever. But to divide it into categories that this is a wolf because he's a pastor that's made mistakes is he's not. He's a Jesus. He just needs save. He needs us. Jesus is like, well, I need Jesus. Um, but uh, gosh, I probably should even open up that can because that surely could get me some emails. But there are pastors and there are leaders who have, who have sinned and are. Uh, in need of God's God's mercy and God's judgment or God's whatever. Um, and t- 
to categorize them as anything other than that then means that I get to tar and feather them and bring them into the public square and shame them and build a website where people click on it just because I can write articles about uh, all the pastors that are failing. Um, anyway, that's a whole other conversation. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is if you offer your life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. And he goes on to talk about then, and this is what we're going to start this Sunday, is uh, think of yourself with sober judgment, right? Think that tr- with the biblical definition of humility, we've said it a hundred times, believing the truth about yourself. And, and from there he goes into these seven gifts, and that's what we're going to talk about this Sunday. Yeah, you dipped into it just a little bit on this past Sunday. And, uh, and for those of you that may not know, I mean, you wrote a book this past year about <laughs> Romans 12 and these seven gifts. And it's, it's, it's such an incredible tool. It's a really great resource. would encourage each of you, if you haven't read it already, just go check it out. Go, go pick it up. Um, or take the, the life gift test online. And um, we'll, we'll talk about it more in this next couple of weeks. But what is that dot com? If you go to mylifegift.com, mylifegift.com, uh, the idea of like these are the, the gifts, the spiritual gifts for our life, uh, mylifegift.com, uh, there's a test. And it's free. It takes about three minutes, four minutes. Yeah. Um, it's about 80% accurate, as best I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> We're working on it. But it, 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 it give you a place to start at least. Yeah, and so as we continue this series, um, what's true about you, we finally have gotten to probably our favorite chapter of Romans, and we're going to be sitting in Romans for a little bit. We're going to park here uh, for the next few weeks Yeah, because um, there's so much to pull out of it, and we're going to be referencing some of the different things that you have brought out in your book um, and really detailing what these seven gifts look like and how um, we can impact, how we can be used, and not live of the pattern of the world but living a transformed renewed life yeah yeah so the purpose coming from without if i am created uh and these this gift is inside of me that i've been given to give um it that's my purpose like this is i'm supposed to deliver this gift for jesus to the world to be this uh this image of jesus to the world uh man and, and There's a lot of freedom in that. oh lord yeah I wish I'd have known this when I was young, right? I would have. I wasted so much time trying to do stuff that I just wasn't gifted to do. Um, but yeah, well, that's what we're going to talk about in the, the Sunday. Well, it's exciting. Awesome. Thank you for joining us each and every week. Um, we're again, we're going to continue this series. We're we're just getting through Romans a verse at a time. It's just sometimes a couple verses. And it's worth it because there's so much to to be found in here. There's so much freedom to be found, and we're just we're grateful that you take the time to listen. Conduitchurch.com. You can find everything you could possibly want to know about each of us or what we are doing here in Franklin, Tennessee. Um, perhaps consider joining us on a Sunday morning. We would love to, to meet you and to greet you uh, as well, 9 a.m., 11 a.m. And then just tune in online. Watch our service live streamed each Sunday at 11 a.m. Just search Conduit at YouTube.com. 